Hello, this is Pod for the Course, and uh, I am Tom Kay, the Director of Communications for Washington Golf. And uh, 2022, this year, is the centennial history uh, year of the Washington State Golf Association, which is now called Washington Golf. And today we have with us uh, Mike Rist, and Mike is uh, many things. Mike is the uh, official historian for the Pacific Northwest Golf Association. He's the historian at the British Columbia Golf Museum up there in Vancouver, B.C., and uh, he is the co-author of the monumental uh, Championships and Friendships book, which is the Centennial History book of the Pacific Northwest Golf Association, which was published in 1999. He's also the author of the bi biography of A.V. McCann, Arthur Vernon McCann, and the book is called Just Call Me Mac. And McCann is the well-known golf course architect who has put his name on numerous uh, uh, golf courses in the region, uh, such as, uh, let's see here, I've got a list going um, somewhere. They are Royal Colwood in Victoria, Inglewood Golf Club, Fircrest in Tacoma, Broadmoor Golf Club, numerous clubs in the area. Uh, Mike is the volunteer uh, historian, again, at the British Columbia Golf Museum, and he also laid the foundation for the history book uh, for Washington Golf, which is going to come out here in just a couple of weeks, actually, called Washington Golf, 100 Years of Growing the Game. Uh, Mike did a lot of research uh, in preparing this, this material for this book. And Mike Rist, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Tom. Good to talk to you again. We haven't talked for quite a while. This is yeah. a whole new format for us. It is, yeah. And with the, the border situation, it's not been much back and forth and across the border for quite a while now. So hopefully that will change here in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, I just, uh, again, 2022, uh, so 100 years ago, 1922, the very first Washington State Amateur was held at the nine-hole golf course of Yakima Country Club in Yakima, Washington. And uh, that ostensibly was the informal and formal founding of the Washington State Golf Association. But there were numerous events leading up to 1922 founding, and not just for Washington State Golf Association, but other golf associations, other golf courses. There was a lot going on in the golf community in our region around that time of the, time of, uh, the century. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Um, after the war... Uh, all the returning soldiers had seen this game being played in Britain during the First World War, and they came back to the northwest, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, and small towns like Yakima and Longview and interior towns like Kelowna, Salmon Arm, um, and they wanted to play this game. Um, so uh, when you're looking at the history of golf in the northwest, period of the 20s, there were probably more golf courses constructed, nine, some 18, uh, depended on, on the size of the town or whatever, how much money they had, than any other period in the 100-year history of golf in the Pacific Northwest. Um, in towns like Seattle, Vancouver, Victoria, these returning soldiers couldn't join the golf clubs. Shaughnessy, Jericho, they were closed shop. Seattle Golf Club, closed. 
Um, so they had to start building golf courses to satisfy the demand. And as the number of golf courses grew, then it was only natural that we had to have some sort of body to oversee them. And uh, in British Columbia, there were a number of factors why the BC Golf Association formed prior to the Washington State Golf in 1922. Across Canada, golf was flourishing. And actually before the war, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba had already formed golf associations. Hmm. And in 1921, uh, Manitoba was very upset with the Royal Canadian Golf Association. It was basically run out of Toronto and Montreal. And they wanted more input into the game of golf in Canada. So they formed, uh, started the process to form the Western Golf Association uh, in Canada. So, but they needed to have everybody involved, all the provinces in Western Canada. So they really encouraged the golf clubs that were forming in BC. And at that time in 1921, there were 17 clubs that had formed and built golf courses. So that was one reason why they formed. The other reason, they needed to have some sort of overseeing of, of all these clubs for rules and handicaps. Um, and thirdly, in each area, they had actually started to form their own regional associations, like the Interior, the Kootenays, Victoria, Vancouver. So there was this movement to form uh, the BC Golf Association. And by 1922 at Colwood at the PNGA event, uh, that was the final step to form it. And to link it to Washington State Golf, a fellow had attended that meeting by the name of George Weiss. He was a member at the Nine Hole Yakima Golf Club. And he took the idea home to Washington and started the process to form the Washington State Golf Association. Okay. So, yeah, the, the PNGA Championships in 1922 were held at Royal Colwood, and I think that was in June of 1922. Is that correct? Yes, June 9th to... <clears throat> Um, that that was actually a really, really significant event for a whole pile of reasons. First of all, the largest PNGA ever held. Uh, they had somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 400 contestants from all over Western United States. Why did they come to Victoria? Well, McCann had built this incredible golf course, Colwood. And word was getting out it was the most, the best golf course ever constructed on the West Coast. For example, it was the first golf course to have uh, dog leg holes. Uh, all these really good players, like from California, Utah, all showed up at Colwood to play this incredible golf course. And prior to it, McCann had been working for two years of upgrading the course, 1920 and 21, to make sure it was absolutely perfect. And this event probably propelled his career more than any other event. 
And actually, in July 1922, after the PNGA, he appeared in Seattle uh, at the Seattle uh, Times with Alex Rose, and he announced for the first time, I am now Vernon McCann, GA, gold uh-huh. protect. No one had ever heard that term before. And the people thought he was crazy. He had mm-hmm. given up this uh, incredible lands and forest job in Victoria, just a cushy job because he had been wounded after the war. And they thought he was nuts, that he would quit it and all of a sudden became a GA. Well, became the busiest golf course architect probably in the northwest on the coast before the Second World War. But that event in Colwood, for a whole bunch of reasons, was a really, really important PNGA golf tournament. It lasted for two weeks. The figures at the uh, hotel, the Empress, they had over a 1,000 guests staying there watch and play in this tournament. Wow. So representatives of different clubs from all over the Northwest were there as well, not just the players, correct? Correct. It was, uh, I always compare the PNGA tournaments during the 1920s as um, the, the week of the Masters at Augusta. Everybody came from all over the Southwest, the North, to attend this incredible golf tournament. Well, in the 1920s, the PNGA men's and women's amateur was the same sort of thing. If you wanted to be a socialite in the Northwest, you had to be at that event. So, and I I know that uh, one of the six founding clubs of the PNGA was Butte Country Club from Montana. And so it wasn't just, I mean, this was a big area. This was a large, it covered a large area. And I believe even uh, Utah at the time was part of the PNGA. Was that right? Or was that? Was that, yeah. was that uh, no, it was But the PNGA at that time allowed, uh, how should I put really good players like Vaughn Elm, um, mm-hmm. Grant, um, oh, I can't think of some other name, Neville, all these guys from California, because they were champions, they allowed to play in the PNGA, even though their club was not a member. I guess you could say today, I think even the PNGA invites guests uh, to play yeah, in their They do, yeah. Called presidential invitations, things like that, yeah. Same sort of thing occurred then. Okay. So what year did Royal Colwood open? Uh, you say well, that McCann was, McCann was renovating a little bit in 1921 or so, but what, what year did it open? Well, there was an, an official, unofficial opening in November, I believe it was November 13th, uh, 1913. And at that time, Victoria Golf Club and Seattle Golf Club, and I believe it's still being played today, it dates back to about 1908, I believe, um, uh, they had a team match between the two clubs. They were at Victoria Golf Club in November 1913. Course was pretty much finished. Um, it was open for play by invitation. And McCann invited all the players to his new creation. And mm-hmm. 
of my favorite quotes was uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle. They say the most incredible golf course on the West Coast rivals any Eastern golf course. And they were referring to Colwood. Mm-hmm. And basically, the design of these holes, this unique um, features, putting these bunkers out on the fairways, not a lot of bunkers, but these all these roots uh, allowing very mid and high handicappers, wow, this was the best course I ever played. And then the low handicapper, wow, this was an incredible golf course. This had never been heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of those kinds of – so actually, going back to the Colwood, so I know, I, I know that Inglewood Golf Club, for example, although the club itself was formed in 1919, I think the golf course, Inglewood Golf Course, didn't open until like 1921. Is that, do you know if that's correct? Yeah, the official opening. The golf course itself, yeah. So during this time, McCann, he was a, he was a busy guy. He was a busy yeah, he had a lot of projects going on before he declared this GA title. Uh, he renovated Seattle Golf Club for the PNGA. He renovated Colwood. He uh, uh, built Englewood. He had renovated Shaughnessy. He had eliminated the over-the-road holes at Victoria Golf Club. He, just prior to signing or declaring himself this architect, he had undertaken the contract for Manitou, for Chehalis. They hadn't started yet. Um, Bob Johnson did the first nine holes at Rainier, and then McCann, shortly after he declared this GA title. He got the tie, he got the job to design the back nine at Rainier. He was busy prior to this, but then after this Colwood tournament, he becomes really busy because now he's invited to California. Uh, there's a golf course, I believe it's called Meadow. It's up on the hill in San Francisco. Well, McCann was supposed to design that golf course. California Golf Club calls him in, um, and actually there was a clipping in the San Francisco Chronicle that everyone thought that McCann was going to move to California and set up shop because he felt he'd be more successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to the PNGA championship in 1922 again that was in june so and the washington first washington state amateur was held in late september of of 1922 so three months later and so in in those three months george wise and it looks like a few other people were involved as well such as w.e draper uh of the also of yakima was a member at yakima country club just like wise was and a few other sure the men got together so in those three months they came up with a plan to conduct this first Washington State Amateur. Yes? Yeah, but there was also another person that who was basically, I believe, the most influential up until about 26, 27, and that's Bob Johnston. He had formed the uh, Pacific Northwest Golfer, a uh, professional golfers association, 
But we have to go back, uh, back basically to 1919-1920. Prior to the First World War, there was a tournament held the first day, depending on the number of players, or the very end of the PNGA tournament called the Pacific Northwest Open. It started in 1905 at the Lewis and Clark event in, in Portland at Waverly. And there were, it varied before the first war between four and ten professionals working in the Northwest, Johnson being one of them. And so that these fellows could earn extra money, there was usually a purse of $50 up for the pros. Uh, there was this open event held uh, in conjunction with the PNGA. And usually a wealthy member like Kerry, uh, Sayward in, in Victoria, somebody put up the $50. PNGA never put up the money. It was always a wealthy person in the area. So these pros. So after the war, Johnson in 1919, he approaches the PNGA and asks for permission to hold this Pacific Northwest Open on the two days prior to the PNGA's official opening. And usually it was on Sunday and Monday. Mm -hmm. And he raised the money, uh, and the PNGA agreed. Uh, and this, and Johnson's idea was, now there were much, many more pros in the area, it would give them an extra way to earn money. Okay? Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. in 1922, there's this movement amongst the nine-hole golf courses to form this association, and they approach Johnston, and Johnston says, sure, I'll hold another open event so the pros can earn even more money called the Washington State Open. We'll hold it first two days, 36 holes each day, and then you can hold your Washington State Amateur after our Open. So he forms the, Washington, uh, the Pacific Northwest Professional Golfers Association in 22 to look after the, the Pacific Northwest Open and the Washington State Open. Yeah, yeah, that that is absolutely correct and uh so 1922 is not only the the uh founding of the washington state golf association but also the pacific northwest section pga which john stone uh drove to um and it should be noted also that yes the both of those tournaments the washington state amateur and the washington state open were held consecutively at the same venue the same week for years starting in 1922 Yes, and um, he arranged the courses, and he he actually oversaw the operation of both tournaments. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, what was the problem with these nine-hole golf courses? Well, like the Manitoba Golf Association, who was upset with the RCGA, the nine-hole golf courses in Washington were upset with the PNGA. Um, 
because the PNGA did not hold any of their championships on nine-hole courses. Is that correct? That's correct. And as A.S. Carey pointed out, (coughs) this PNGA had become so large, it was impossible to hold it on a nine-hole golf course. It it just wasn't possible. So he was entirely in favor of these nine-hole golf courses all uniting under an umbrella. In fact, he was the first chairman. He donated the first trophy. And um, and they would hold their own tournament on the nine-hole golf courses. Now, there were some stipulations. Uh, the PNGA and, and the Washington State agreed in order for a nine-hole golf course to hold this event, they had to be a member of the PNGA. Um, and then the another reason for holding, as Kerry said, it will be good for the little nine-hole golf courses and these little towns. Like the first ones were held at, Earl, uh, at Yakima, um, mm-hmm. Erlington. Uh, Grace, Har- Grace Harbor over the coast. In Aberdeen, yeah. Oh, Aberdeen. These citizens of these little towns would have an opportunity to see these very good players for a week. Um, So everybody was happy. But I, I found it interesting that the Washington State Golf Association did something different than the PNGA. in 
competitive golf for local players that they needed to find ways to to hold these tournaments where where more people could play yes oh yeah absolutely um the uh and and most of the golf courses that got built um and i can tell you an interesting story of why but um these small towns longview chehalis um over onto the peninsula help me out um uh, they all built nine-hole golf courses. First of all, they didn't have the land, didn't have the money, didn't know if it, the whole uh, whole proposition was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, Cowlitz, uh, the whole, there were a whole bunch down in southwest Washington, below Aberdeen on the coast. From Aberdeen to the California border in the late 30s, there were something like a dozen golf courses along that mm-hmm. coast. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all nine holders. Um, so, um, and McCann didn't build very many of them for a specific reason. So this Washington State Golf Association had a lot of members, mainly all nine hole golf courses, so mm-hmm. their members could play in a state. A statewide championship, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, as I understand it, one of the reasons, not only to allow other play, more players to have a chance to play in events, but the other reason to conduct these events at nine-hole golf courses was to help them grow to 18-hole courses. Yes? Absolutely. Um, many of them did. Some didn't, like Chehalis. One of McC- McCann always referred to it as his best nine-hole golf course he had ever designed. It was about 10 miles south of uh, Chehalis on the Pacific Highway in Jackson Prairie. I'm actually just finished a major article on it. Um, And it was the first nine-hole golf course in the Pacific Northwest, maybe even the coast, where McCann designed 18 tees and nine greens. So it was like playing two different nine-hole golf courses, uh, and that had never heard of before. Wow. Is that golf? I don't think that golf course exists anymore. Is that right? Unfortunately, and one of the mysteries, and I put it in my article, I don't know if anybody ever knows, the, it, uh, it had a tournament called the Shortstop, which was another event which was totally unique to the Northwest totally unique to Chehalis. Uh, they had around two to 300 people try to qualify for this uh, 80, uh, 64 spots on this Sunday. Um, and all of a sudden in 1936, after that, it basically closed for wow. no apparent reason at all. Uh-huh. One of the mysteries. Yeah. But it, so this... This uh, excuse me, going back to this uh, Bob Johnstone uh, person, he he's an interesting man, and he has had a lot of impact on the game in our region. And you wouldn't even think about it because, for whatever reason, he was not he's not one of the glamorous names, so to speak. But he he it was him who who helped f- found the first municipal course in Washington, the, which was Jefferson Park Golf Course, in 1915. And he was at the time, I believe, he was the head pro at Seattle Golf Club, 
And I uh, also think that he, he, in fact, I don't think, I know he played in that exhibition with uh, Jim Barnes and Ted Ray and uh, Harry Varden. Is that correct? Uh, yep, that's correct. Yeah, Bob Johnson's a fascinating character. He arrived on the nor- on the Pacific Coast in 1898. He was probably one of the very first, if not the first, uh, golf professional in California at the San Francisco Golf Club. And he arrived in the Pacific Northwest at, in 1905 when Seattle Golf Club moved from Laurelhurst to where it, to the Highlands, where it is today. And he was basically the man that designed it. He designed, as you say, the first public golf course. He designed the first nine holes at Rainier. Um, He designed another nine-hole golf course, a west side golf course, which was uh, in the north end, uh, I think basically near Jackson Park. It existed only for about 20 years. Um, yeah, he was a very fascinating guy. He was from, uh, I believe, Aberdeen, Scotland. Good player. Uh, played in that exhibition, as you said, with Ted Ray and Harry Varden. Um, played in a number of exhibitions. Jim Barnes also returned. He and Jock Hutchinson returned uh, in 1923. Johnson played against them at Seattle Golf Club. Um He's a fellow that one day, there's two people in the Northwest that had an incredible influence on the development of golf, and they are, nobody has ever really written their story. They appear in books, they appear everywhere, and that's Bob Johnson and A.S. Carey. Mm-hmm. Uh, A.S. Carey had the money. He was a lumberman from uh, Minnesota, I believe. He arrived around 1910 in the Northwest, and uh, because he had the finances, he financed the Varden Ray exhibition matches in the Northwest. He invited Chick Evans and I forget who else in 1913 to play a series of exhibitions in the Northwest. He financed the first team of amateurs to go to the Western Amateur in 1921. There were 21 players from the Northwest went to play in the Western Amateur. Um, It was uh, the first USGA. um, He was on the executive of the USGA. He was the first one from the Northwest. Fascinating character, but boy, did he have a lot of influence on the development of golf. He redid the PNGA Constitution in 1927. He revamped. Uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of inf- those two fellows had on golf. Yeah. So A.S. Carey, he, as I understand it, he was the president of the PNGA in 1922. Is that is that correct, Mike? It could be. Yeah. I would have to look up. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. So, so look, I'm just trying to figure out the timeline here. So in 19 in June at the at the PNJ Championship at Royal Callwood, the British Columbia Golf Association is founded. And between June and September, when the Washington State Amateur is held and the WSJ is founded, uh, Bob Johnstone, George Wise, and uh, W. E. Draper and A. S. Carey they all get together 
to form these two championships, the Washington State Open and Washington State Amateur, held at Yakima Country Club. And how did A.S. Carey get involved with this? Uh, I know that they selected him as the first president of the WSGA. I think that was because he was, at the time, the P&J president. I, I believe so, because the clipping that basically sets up the Washington State Golf Association, the clipping is something like state association is under the wing of the PNGA. Okay. That really happened. Uh, it got set up, and then it kind of went on its own, and as we're going to talk about here around 1926, uh, it's it's really floundering. Uh, it, it needs some some sort of orderliness, as Dr. Ford said. So I what happened, Kerry got the whole thing rolling, PNGA got it rolling, but they had really very, very little influence for the first five years. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, it was run by Johnson. Johnson, uh, he found the club. The club then, the president or the captain, I think it was usually the president of the host club, they became the president of the Washington State Golf Association. They oversaw the tournament at their club. And then the following year was the same thing. Johnson went out and got Aberdeen to host it. Um, oh, <laughs> forget the president. Um, his Nick Bunny. Um, anyway, he, he was the head of the bank in, in Grace Harbor. And he's the president for that particular year. So um, for the first five years, Kerry got it started, but I don't think the PNG had a lot of influence. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, I think it was Kerry who actually donated the first trophy for the championship. It was uh, called the Kerry Cup. Is that right? Yeah. For the Washington State Amateur? Yeah. Okay. And the rule was that if you won it three times, you got to keep it. And I believe it was Chuck Hunter who won it three consecutive times, and that's why it ended up. And I think you found you took a photo of it uh, when we were at Tacoma Country and Golf Club. Oh, sometime in the 90s, I found the cup in their trophy case. Nobody yeah. quite knew yeah. why it was there. Well, Chuck Hunter had won it three times, so he retired, yeah. gave it. Yeah. To and that, that trophy still does exist in their trophy case at Tacoma Country Golf Club. Does it? <laughs> yeah, still there. Um, yeah, so uh, the second president, like you said, they, they just went down the line. If you were the, the president of the, the golf course, you were president of the WSJ for that year. Correct. Uh, and during those first many, actually a few decades, the only function, the sole function of the WSJ was to conduct this one state amateur championship and that was all it did there was there was no uh, administrative duties really there was no course rating they didn't do handicapping at the time it was just to run this one state championship is that right mike yeah but that was characteristic of the british columbia golf association they in fact they gave up the ladies in 1933 when the uh, CLGUBC branch of the women formed so then they took mm -hmm. over their own tournament the BC Golf Association didn't really have another function until 1948, after the war, when they started holding the BC Junior. Um, and really, 
only function was operating the uh, uh, the BC Men's Amateur, same as Washington State. I think the Oregon Golf Association, which formed in 1924, I think they actually operate, excuse me, the Amateur and the Open, but I'm not certain. But yeah, these associations had very little uh, mm -hmm. duties. But in the Northwest, we had the PNGA. PNGA oversaw the rules, mm -hmm. standardized the handicapping, um, mm -hmm. and the the uh, provincial and state association, they didn't have anything to do with that. That was yeah. the PN job. Yeah, okay. So um, after a few years, yes, because there was, it was sub, it was floundering, there was no real organization uh, at the time. In fact, just to segue on this, the Washington State Women's Golf Association was founded in 1922 and their first championship was held in 1922 at Grace Harbor Country Club. And I think they were a lot more organized at the time. And they had a, they had a board, they had elected officials, they had a president, they had, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And the WSJ did not have that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. They were organized from day one. Um, Mrs. The lady at Aberdeen. Isn't it? I can't Patterson, I think. Patterson. Um, yeah. Uh, she organized it, and uh, they had a board of trustees. They held a regular annual meeting, total separate from the date of the tournament. Uh, they produced financials. Uh, they had committees to do the social activities of their amateur, to oversee the uh, tournament. No, they were super, super organized. Uh, and therefore, they were. It was only natural that they would last forever. Whereas the men, because of this lack of, uh, uh, as Dr. Ford said, orderliness, um, it, it probably would have folded. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, it, it, it was it was on the route to folding in 1926. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Ford had been president of the Washington State Golf because um, they went away from their nine hole and held the 26 tournament at Inglewood. And mm -hmm. so he was president and he could see very quickly that there was a problem here. Uh, this thing, it, it, it was loosey-goosey. So he then called a meeting in 1927. He, he produced a constitution and bylaws, circulated it, to every golf course, every club in Washington State, and asked everybody to come to the 1927 uh, Washington State Amateur so they could have some sort of order here. Mm -hmm. And that 1927 Washington State Amateur was held at Fircrest Golf Club outside Tacoma. And uh, so that was when things really became official, so to speak. Uh, is that right? Yeah, he he set up a similar situation to the women. Um, Dr. Ford's another really interesting guy. He became the president of the PNJ in 1929, and he he was he'd been influential in at Inglewood for uh, he was involved in the formation, and he had been very influential in Seattle golf um, because the, at this time. 
during the 20s, the Seattle Golf Association formed, and he was part of the formation of that. Um, he was another fellow, not quite as influential as Carey, but definitely very close a second. Um, and I can give you a, a really neat story about Dr. Ford. I, I find him a fascinating character. Okay. Um, so 1927, it picks up again, and uh, it, it goes along, and and what I think is the next, to me anyway, the most interesting, one of the most interesting things is during World War II, um, for many years, uh, even in our office, we had assumed that the Washington State Amateur was... Uh, on hiatus during the World War II, just like every other major tournament in the area and across the nation and across the world, really. But that was not the case. Uh, the Washington State Amateur was held during World War II just in a different format. Is that right? In fact, I'll give you a piece of trivia. There's one tournament that until COVID, and I couldn't convince them to hold something to keep the record going, uh, the Vancouver City and District Men's Championship, up until COVID, had been held every year continuously since 1913. And my research showed that it was the oldest continuous state, provincial, or national championship in North America. And yeah. they broke it because of COVID. But yes, the state um it uh, it held it and it's it was a really it's a really unique story of how they did it why they did it um i found it fascinating mm -hmm. well as i understand it the so the washington state amateur was held as match play until 1942 i think it was or 1941 was the last year it was held as match play and then during the war for i believe four years it was held as stroke play. Is that right? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. And the reasons for doing so? Well, you go ahead. The reasons for doing so? I'm asking you. What do you think? So there's the wars on. And the uh, U.S. enters the war, what, in 1942. Sandpoint uh, Naval Station is part of a base uh, after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor Canada and the U.S. become really nervous that they're going to have a surprise attack by submarines, Japanese submarines. So from San Diego to Fairbanks, Alaska, both countries set up a series of amphibious bases along the coast to patrol outside their, their boundary. And Sandpoint was one of them. Jericho in Vancouver was the biggest in Canada. So there's... So, uh, naval people stationed there. There's also na uh, uh, soldiers stationed at Fort Lewis. And Boeing factory at Chilliwack in Vancouver is going full bore and um, also in Boeing in Rainier, uh, in uh, Renton. So uh, there's soldiers, there's naval people, there's service people have come from all over the, the country to serve in these bases. And there's lots of really, really, really good golfers. 
Mm-hmm. So the Washington State, uh, I believe it was George Pope, he comes up with the idea, well, let's hold a tournament and we'll allow any serviceman uh, who is serving at one of these bases or working at Boeing to play in this tournament, any member of Washington State Golf, PNGA, um, British Columbia Golf, we'll allow them all to play in this tournament. Well, I think the first event, they had like 200, 250 applicants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they, they can't hold it in match play for a whole week. First of all, these guys can't get the time off. They can get the weekend off. So the organizers say, okay, we'll have 36 holes on Saturday, and we'll have 36 holes on Sunday. Well, they allow anybody to come, and the first day of the first tournament in in stroke play, I I think there's 250 people. Well, you can't have that on a 72-hole tournament. So they reduce it to 54 holes. Mm -hmm. And it's probably... Well, it's after the tournament in 40, I guess the first one after is 46, there's a, a movement saying, wow, we had the most successful Washington State amateurs ever held. Let's keep it at stroke play. But uh, the Johnsons and the people involved in uh, Washington State golf, no, no, we're going to go back to match play. Yeah. Yeah. And so during the war, not only did they have all the service people, servicemen could play in these tournaments, but also all of these employees, just just basic employees of the Boeing plants and the Bremerton shipyards and all of that, they they couldn't work during the week anyway as well because they were on full war production schedules. And uh, so they, they got to play on weekends as well. And and I guess I don't know if it was a specific restriction, but they they could not hold any tournaments during the week for those reasons because of war production purposes. And uh, there's one story in the 1944 Washington State Amateur. You probably know this story, Mike. But uh, Harry Guyven and Scotty Campbell were tied after 54 holes on Sunday, and they had to wait until the next Sunday to do an 18-hole playoff because they couldn't play during the week. Correct. Uh, yeah. There was another reason why, basically, in British Columbia and in Oregon, they canceled their tournaments because of gas rationing. But in Seattle, because everybody was so close, like Sandpoint was close and um, and uh, Fort Lewis and the people were working at Bremerton, everybody was close. They didn't feel that the gas rationing would be a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Oregon and Washington, that's the main reasons why their championships were canceled because of gas rationing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe the uh, entries for those wartime tournaments were the largest that, that they still to this day have ever had. As I understand. Oh, really? It. Yeah. So they uh, go back to match play, I believe, in 1946, and I think they stayed as match play until 1965, if I remember correctly. Before, I think. Yeah, yeah, and then they then they reverted to stroke play again, and that's what they've done in that championship ever since. Yeah, unlike the PNGA who who maintained mm-hmm. their match play, and the mm-hmm. reason for 
that is, the USGA went to stroke play. Uh, mm-hmm. And they went to stroke play was because of television. Match oh, play yeah. did not work well on TV. So mm-hmm. they went to a stroke play format, um, mm-hmm. uh, to strictly a comedy television. Television had a big, big influence on changing a number of things. Mm-hmm. British Open, American players wouldn't go over. Uh, uh, they wanted it on TV. They wanted the British Open on TV, and they wanted to play uh, the U.S. ball, and that's why the British ball. Uh, got outlawed in the British Open, mainly mm-hmm. because of TV. Um, mm-hmm. it, TV was a big influence in marketing and everything, Palmer. Sure. But uh, so, the USGA, and, but the PNGA did not fall, even though the PNGA were part of USGA, they did not follow um, the, uh, they, the same thing as the USGA. They kept their match play. So you're talking about the U.S. Open? Uh, U.S. Open, um, um, Western. I know, I know the U.S. Amateur, they tried that as stroke play for a while. And I, I don't know why they changed back to, to match play, but there was a period in the 70s or something like that. I, I, I don't know my dates on that exactly, but they played stroke play for a while, the U.S. Amateur, and now they have reverted back to match play in the U.S. Amateur. Well. That's correct. I think it went back, and uh, unfortunately, the reason has, has um, slipped my memory. There was a very, very specific reason why they went back, but it was in the 70s. Uh, yeah. I'll take a guess, mid-70s. It mm-hmm. was about a decade when they um, were in stroke play, and I forget the reason why they went back but yeah. there was a very specific reason. Yeah, in fact, I think, uh, if I remember right, the 1970 U.S. Amateur was held at uh, Waverly, I think. And uh, uh, Lanny Watkins won it in stroke play. I'd have to look on that. But uh, any listeners out there, they can correct correct me on that, but uh, I believe that's what, what it was. There was an re- interesting sidelight um, with regard to golf um during the war, and it lasted for, I guess, about the same time, maybe 41. It may, could have been 40 and 41. I'd have to check. But the because Boeing had a plant in Vancouver, in Chilliwack and on Sea Island, and because they had plants um, in uh, Seattle area, I think three, there was a tournament played again on the weekend of the good amateurs and professionals. There were 24 players on each team, and they played a home-and-home series for the Norgan Cup. And Norgan was a prominent uh, young United distillery in Vancouver, one of the wealthiest guys in Vancouver. And he financed these um, trips back and forth and it was a, a home-and-home home series. One played late June and one played in September. And people like Stan Leonard, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I checked Bob Johnson played on it. Uh, I know Gordy Richards played. Um, and But they had to be working at the Boeing plant. 
mm-hmm. to be a, to be able to play on these teams. Uh, Benny Coke, uh, all the the good players in Vancouver played against the good players in Seattle, which I I, I didn't know about until about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So they they had these, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, just to kind of wrap up this session, Mike, uh, is there anything else about the early years of the Washington State Golf Association? I know that there was a strong connection between the WCA and the PNGA, and the PNGA had taken the WCA under under their wing for the first several years. Um, Well, I I think it actually was under their wing for a long, through the Johnsons, because Mm -hmm. the basically out of Ernie Johnson's office. He ran the PNG and the Washington State Golf Association. Mm-hmm. And I can remember going to PN, uh, Evans Scholar meeting, uh, selection meetings in the six, in the 70s through the 80s. And there, there, there was this very, very close affinity between Washington State Golf and PNGA. And I, I think it was basically through, um, through Ernie Johnson. Because he basically ran both. And also the handicap system uh, that Ernie devised, and he first of all did a test market in the Seattle Golf Association to see how it would work. And then he expanded it to the Washington State Golf Association. Then he expanded it to the PNGA, which took it all over the, the region. And then he gave it to the uh, USGA and it's gin today. Mm-hmm. So there was evolution. And then I'll never forget the meeting in the 90s uh, when Washington State took over uh, the funding for the handicap system to give them money. The PNGA gave it to Washington State Golf because they had no money. And PNGA was starting to accumulate a lot of money. And the uh, PNGA under Washington State wanted to have a golf course because Oregon had a golf course. So in order to fund it, the handicap system was transferred to Washington State Golf. And that was quite a contentious meeting. Uh, I actually had lunch a couple of days ago with Dorothy, and we were talking about this probably the most contentious PNGA annual meeting we'd ever been at. Um, and uh, it was the transferring of uh, of this because uh, mo- handicap system was profitable. Yeah, Very sure. Yeah, and uh, that that transfer transfer of power ultimately happened in the early nineties. Correct. I'm sorry. The transfer of uh, the power from the PNGA to the WCA happened in the early 1990s. Yeah, we thought it was. After the World Amateur in Vancouver, I always use it as a reference, 1992. We thought it was probably 1993 or 94. We didn't think it went much further. That would be my guess. One day I'll have to those minutes from that meeting because I've just never seen anything like it in my life. People were (laughs) yelling and screaming, and you're going to – the PNG is going to go broke. We're, they're going to fold. They're going to have no money. Yeah, it was, oof, what a meeting. <laughs> uh, 
Um, we're talking today with Mike Rist, and again, Mike is the uh, historian for the BC Golf Museum in Vancouver, British Columbia, and the website for that is bcgolfhouse.com, and Mike is also the official historian for the Pacific Northwest Golf Association, and he was talking with us today about the centennial year for the Washington State Golf Association, which is now known as Washington Golf, and uh, which was founded in 1922 with the first playing of the Washington State Amateur Yakima Country Club. And a book is coming out uh, in a few weeks called Washington Golf, 100 Years of Growing the Game. And Mike Rist provided a huge amount of material uh, for that book, uh, which we used to, to, to finish, to complete the book. Mike, thanks so much for talking with us today. And we'll talk again to, this is just part one of this particular conversation regarding the history of the of the Washington State Golf Association and Washington Golf. And uh, thanks so much, Mike, for, for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Looking forward to doing it again. And if I had a choice of topics, I specialize in lost golf course of the Pacific Northwest. And people would be astounded to know how many golf courses closed at the end of the 30s that had existed in the 20s and 30s. You, I believe, every small town, Washington, Oregon, British Columbia, most of them are ghost towns today, had a golf course. And there was one specific reason why. Looking forward to it. Okay. And again, Mike Risk, thanks so much for being with us today bcgolfhouse.com if you want to learn more about the museum with Mike uh, volunteers at. Thanks again, Mike, and we'll talk again soon. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye.